0: The text for Pastor John's message this morning is found in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1. And I'd invite you to turn in your Bible or the Bible in the pew in front of you to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, and follow along as I read the first 10 verses. That's 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brethren, beloved by God, that he has chosen you For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us what a welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come.
1: It seems fitting that at the end of this series on hope, the final fruit of hope that we talk about is endurance, because that's what will have to be true of you if you are to carry on with the implications of of what we've said. The text is verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 1. And the particular phrase in verse 3 is that little phrase at the end, the endurance of hope. I take that to mean that hope produces endurance, or that endurance is the fruit of hope. The reason I take it to mean that is because the other two Phrases that come just before it, the work of faith and the labor of love, seem to have that same meaning. Wouldn't you agree that work of faith means a work that flows from, or comes from, or is born of faith, and a labor of love means a labor that is born out of love and comes from love, and therefore the endurance of hope is an endurance that comes from, or is born of, or is the fruit of Hope. So I understand the phrase to mean the endurance that we must have comes from hope. And the question that I want to pose behind this connection this morning for you to keep there in the back of your minds as we probe the connection between hope and, and endurance is this. How do you keep on going in ministry, in a relationship, in a job, in a disability? How do you keep on going year in, year out, decade in, decade out? When there are personal and relational and spiritual and Financial obstacles that sometimes simply seem absolutely insurmountable. How do you keep on going in the path of obedience to which God has called you? When the limelight has shifted off of your ministry. The limelight at Bethlehem can be very bright. It can be so thrilling. It can be so captivating. It can be so powerful. And it is so fickle. The limelight zeroes in on missions. And oh, do missions look glorious. Being a cross-cultural missionary or tent maker or a world Christian, is so exciting that 90 people will come to my house. And pray and sing and dream. And then in a few weeks, the limelight moves on. It stops on urban ministries for a while. stops on music ministries, stops on the 2020 vision and small groups. It passes over to Christian education. It goes to a week of prayer, and so it moves leaving behind a trail of discouraged people who got caught up in the light and the thrill and the encouragement and the camaraderie and the joy. And they didn't realize a lot of their energy was flowing straight from the limelight. How do you keep on going? When the thrill of all that attention and all those people affirming you is gone and it feels like you are the only one who cares about this ministry anymore. The nursery, the teaching, the five-year-olds, the trying to lead a backyard Bible study, missions, a prayer ministry alone in the prayer room. How do you keep on going when the limelight has moved on and all the human support seemed to have vanished, does the Lord only want His people to minister in music and in the inner city and in education and in prayer and in 2020 small groups and in education or, or whatever? Only when the limelight is on it, when the music is high and the spirit is, is good, is that the only time? We know it's not. What does it take then? It takes endurance. Rock solid endurance in a path of obedience to the Lord. It's absolutely indispensable in the life of a Christian and the life of a church. There is going to be a world of difference between the joy and the enthusiasm, and the camaraderie, and the sense of support. Tonight, when we commission Steve, and Susan, and Ludine and Becky, and six months from now, when the stress, and the loneliness, and the sickness comes down in Cameroon, In Guatemala. A world of difference. It takes endurance. I give thanks for your work of faith. Your labor of love. And your endurance of hope. Without the endurance of hope. The work of faith and the labor of love are going to be shown to be no real work of God, but only a love for the limelight. Endurance is the test of the genuineness of the work of faith and the labor of love. We don't live in a generation that puts a very high priority on endurance in relationships, for example, like marriage or jobs or ministry. This is a mobile in a moving age, very little commitment, very little esteeming of endurance. And therefore, if we follow the scriptures here, we're swimming against the tide. So be it. This is a call for the endurance of the saints. Let's probe together the connection between hope and endurance. And let's do it by asking these questions. Are Christians supposed to endure in the path of obedience in order to inherit the blessings of heaven? Or are Christians supposed to endure because they are sure of the blessings of heaven? Or let's ask it another way. Is endurance the path, endurance in the path of obedience, the condition that we must fulfill in order to obtain the inheritance of salvation? Or is the inheritance of salvation already a guaranteed gift which gives us the confidence to endure? Or one other pair? Is the message of the gospel you must endure in order to be saved? Or you shall endure because you are saved? The biblical answer, the resounding biblical answer to all six of those questions is yes. Yes! You must endure to the end in order to be saved. And you shall endure precisely because you are saved. Salvation is both the reward of endurance and the gift of grace. We endure in order to inherit the blessings of heaven and because we are sure that those blessings are ours in Christ. Now, the reason I pose those questions and assert that resounding yes is because I have commended to you week in and week out that there is one source of hope, and that's the Word of God. And when you go to this book, which was written... That by the steadfastness and encouragement of the Scriptures, you might have hope. Romans 15, 4. You find both shalls and musts. And I don't want you to mangle the Scriptures on the one hand, or to miss the blessings of God in the shalls and the musts on the other hand. For the musts are there not for another age, but for you. If you divide the scriptures and put them in the bottle of disuse, you will suffer greatly. For they are designed for your hope and your endurance. We need to see how that's the case. Let's look first at the shells, the great shells and wills of the New covenant. Now this picking up a theme of last Sunday. You remember we read in Jeremiah verses uh, or chapter 31, I think, and Ezekiel 36, texts relating to the New covenant. And we said that the new covenant that God would make with his people, which is sealed by the blood of Christ that new covenant is better than the old covenant made at Sinai. And the reason it's better is because with the promised covenant comes the Holy Spirit power to fulfill the conditions. Formerly it was written on stone with letter. Now it is being written on the heart By the Spirit. The letter kills. The Spirit makes alive. The betterness of the new covenant is that it makes over to God's people absolute promises. And here's one that I didn't read last week. Jeremiah 32, verse 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts, and they, that they may not turn from me. That's classic New Covenant talk. I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they will not turn from me. The wills and the shalls of the New Covenant are absolute and guaranteed. Guaranteed. And therefore, the new covenant is a success, while the old covenant was a colossal failure. There was only a little tiny remnant of the people of Israel who were faithful, in whom the fear of the Lord abounded. But now, he promises that he's going to undertake to do it. He won't leave it for men to do anymore. He won't command on tablets of stone and then leave them in the deadness of their own unregenerate selves. Now, He will write it on their hearts. By His Spirit, He will engage to change them and take out the heart of stone, put in the heart of flesh, cause them to walk in His statutes, and keep them fearing. What does that mean? It means that endurance has been purchased by the blood of Christ and is a guaranteed gift in the new covenant. God will do it and it cannot fail. And so you come over into the New Testament and you read things like Philippians 1, 6, I am sure that he, not me, he who began a good work in you will, shall complete it unto the day of Christ. And then you read about Paul's testimony concerning his own apostolic ministry. And he says in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed, and I am sure that he is able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. In other words, I have been entrusted with an apostolic commission to the Gentiles, and I know that the reason I shall complete this under the day of Christ is that he began it and he will finish it. He says it to every one of those who are broken and have come to Christ for forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 1.8. Christ shall confirm you. Christ shall confirm you to the end. Blameless in the day of our Lord Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. What does that mean? It means that if you've been called into the fellowship of his son, God by the sovereignty of His grace, will keep you in the fellowship of His Son. Those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. And the link between justification and glorification is a path of endurance in obedience. And therefore endurance is a made over gift to the people of God purchased by the blood of Christ. And absolutely secure and certain. Listen to this benediction from Hebrews Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. That's new covenant talk, not old Covenant. Almighty God undertakes to work in his saints what he requires of them in the covenant stipulations. And therefore they are certain we shall endure. That's one kind of text in the Bible. It says that endurance will happen for the people of God. It is a blood-bought gift and it will not fail. I will put within them the fear of me that they may not turn from me. God will do it. The great shalls and the wills ...of the New Covenant. But that's not all that you read in Scripture. There are the musts of Scripture as well. Let's look at these. Jesus says... ...because wickedness is multiplied... ...most men's love will grow cold. This is Matthew 24, 13... Because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Most men's love will grow cold, but he who endures in love, hot love, to the end will be saved. You must endure to the end. You must endure in love to the end if you would be saved. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, God will render to every man according to his works. To those who by endurance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. To whom will he give eternal life? Those who by enduring... In well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality from God. To them, he will give eternal life to no one else. If you do not endure in well-doing, you may not hope for eternal life. Or Galatians 6, verses 8 and 9. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption... But he who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life and let us not grow weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. We will reap eternal life if we sow to the spirit and don't lose heart. That is, endure. You must endure. You must endure. There are must. In scripture as well as shells and wills. Hebrews 10.35. Do not throw away your confidence which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. Don't throw away your confidence. You have need of endurance. Because those who endure keep the will of God. And those who keep the will of God obtain what is promised. Not anyone else. You must endure. The inheritance is only given to those who endure in obedience to the will of God. Well, there they are the great new covenant shalls and wills and the great musts of Scripture. The one kind assures us that we shall endure because we are saved. And the other kind says, you must endure in order to be saved. Endurance is a gift and endurance is a duty. And these are not in conflict. There is absolutely no contradiction and no tension between these two if you have a holy and a sovereign God. We must endure because God is holy, and we shall endure because God is sovereign. Why are they there? Why do we need both? There are many people who simply take the shells and go out to lunch and say the musts, well, there for another dispensation or there for another time. Or there for another period of life. And they shut the mouth of almighty God. And his blessing and warning. Why are both here? Why must there be shalls and musts? Well, let's let's answer that. Let's look at three things that the shalls do for us. And then three things that the musts do for us. Number one. The great new covenant shells of the Bible turn us away from all self-reliance and boasting and direct us to the sovereign power of God. He shall do it. When you hear the Bible say, I will take out of you the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I will give you a new heart. I will write my law on your heart. I will put the fear of me in your heart. So that you will not turn from me. And you start to struggle with doubt. In your life. Where do you go? To yourself. After hearing those promises. You go to God. Where else would you go? Having heard such awesome promises. So the first point of the shells. Is to direct us away from ourselves to God and to blast boasting out of our lives. First Corinthians four, verse seven. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it as a gift, why do you boast as though it were not a gift? Endurance is a gift. How can you boast in a gift? Second purpose for the shells in scripture is to blast legalism out of our lives That is the mentality that says, I've got to earn my way to heaven. He's told me, hasn't he told me, I must endure to get there. So I've got to earn heaven, right? Wrong. There is no connection between the command you must endure in order to be saved and the thought that you must earn salvation. Those are not connected in biblical thought. God has never said to his people, nor will he ever say, earn your salvation. He has never commended to one man or woman on the face of this earth that we try to put him in our debt by contributing value to him, that he must pay with a wage. Anybody that goes to God and says, pay up, I worked will receive from him a stern rebuke that says, Never in all my word have I said such a thing. Yes, you must endure in order to be saved. But you endure by grace in the power that I supply, that I might get the glory, 1 Peter 4.11. Or take this magnificent text, one of my favorites. I quote it all the time. You may be getting tired of it. By the grace of God, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain, but I worked harder than any of them. Nevertheless, it was not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That just blasts legalism out of the world. What did he mean when he said his grace to me was not in vain? He meant it produced work. I labor as an apostle. His grace became a power within me. Why? So that I could lay my pedigree and my hard work on the desk and ask my employer at the end of the age for my wages of eternal life. Curse such a thought. Only so that he could stand before God the judgment day and say by the grace of God I was faithful to you and fulfilled the commission you gave to me. To you and to you alone be the glory forever and ever. That's the second purpose for the great shalls and wills of Scripture. To get legalism, the thought that we could earn anything from God out of our lives. And the third purpose for the shalls and the wills is to give us a sweet peace and assurance. When we're broken and contrite and fleeing to the cross for forgiveness and for the grace to help in time of need. Well, someone asked, why in the world would you need any musts? I mean, if God has committed himself sovereignly by his grace to do all of that for his people, why tell them what they have to do? God's going to do it. And there are many people, by virtue of their human reasoning, who would exalt themselves above the word of God, who conclude, we don't need the musts. Let him who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. The musts are absolutely crucial for three reasons. Here's what they do for us. Number one, the musts of Scripture Remind us that the miracle of conversion is not a legal fiction. Well, that probably doesn't make any sense, so I'll explain it. The musts of Scripture remind us that the miracle of conversion is not a legal fiction. That is, there must be changes when there is conversion, or it isn't conversion. There are a lot of people who say, I got saved. Or I made a decision or I came to Christ or I prayed to receive Jesus and they live exactly like they've always lived. They love money. They love sex. They love power. They don't love worship. They don't love prayer. They don't love the word. But they got saved. They got saved. They did not get saved. Because if you got converted, there is a work of faith, a labor of love and an endurance of hope. And the reason there are musts in scripture are to tell us. There's got to be a change. When you get saved or you aren't. I mean, conversion is real. It's not a game. It's not a legal fiction. God is real. His spirit is powerful. When you lead, when you yield to almighty God. God. He changes you. And don't talk about what you did once upon a time. If you're not changed and loving God and walking in paths of obedience. Second thing that the musts of scriptures do for us. Is to draw our attention to the exceedingly great value of the reward of heaven the reason the must do that is this. The must say you must endure. Then we hear the promise. Endurance comes from hope. Therefore, the must means you must be energetically in the pursuit of hope, lest you not endure and not inherit. And how then do you get your heart hoping in God? Like we talked about a few weeks ago, you become heavenly minded. You start setting your mind on things that are above. I just read an article by my friend Wayne Grudem in the latest Christianity Today just called The Unseen World is Not Unreal or something like that. It was a beautiful little one page thing. And all it said was most people go through life, through life today without any practical sense of an unseen world. No wonder we have no hope. And therefore, no joy, no love, no boldness, no endurance, which all come from hope. But if you hear God and take Him seriously, say, you must pursue in hope or in love to the end in order to be saved, then you will become serious to get your mind in heaven where there comes hope into your heart, which produces endurance, which inherits life. You see? And the third thing that the musts of Scripture do for us Is to provide us with tests so that we can know whether we are qualified to be beneficiaries of the shells. How do you know that you are a beneficiary of the shells of the new covenant? They're not for everybody. Everybody is not going to endure and be saved. And yet the covenant commitment is that God will cause his people to persevere and be saved. So to whom is that promise made? You? Maybe. How do you know? The musts of scripture are given so that you can know whether you qualify for the shells and can rest and enjoy the shells. Have you been broken by the musts of scripture and made contrite? Have you fled then to the cross for the forgiveness of Jesus? And are you drawing now the help of his grace for the living of your life? If so, The shells are yours. The shells and the wills of the new covenant are yours. Because you've been broken by the musts and have fled to Jesus. Well, there they are. The two categories of scripture. And you can see, can't you, that the end and the aim of both of them is the same. Namely, to direct us to grace and to hope. The grace of God. The shells of scripture direct us to God's grace directly with promises. The musts of scripture direct us to God's grace indirectly. By commanding us to do things for which we must have grace to do. There's no conflict here. They are one in their purpose. And so when you go to the Scripture. And you open the Bible and you read, I shall put my law within you and I shall cause you to walk in my statutes and I shall put the fear of me within you that you may not turn from me. What's the aim of that text? The aim of that text is that we with all peace and assurance and joy would look to the grace of God And draw hope that we might endure in obedience. And suppose we turn the page and we read. You must endure in order to be saved. What's the point of that text? It's the same. Namely that we with all earnestness and urgency. Will look away from ourselves to the grace of God and all of his sovereign power. That we might gain hope for the enablement and the endurance. And that hope enable us and give us strength to endure and so inherit the promise. There's only one purpose in scripture. Both the musts and the shells have the same goal. To direct us to the sovereign grace of God where we will find hope because hope is the power of endurance. The musts are not telling us you have to endure in your own strength. And the shells are not telling us. You don't have to endure. Both the musts and the shells are telling us. Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in the grace of God. And when you hope in the sovereign grace of God. Instead of hoping in yourself. Instead of hoping in the praise and the approval of men. Instead of hoping in money. Instead of hoping in prestige. Instead of hoping in the pleasures that are fleeting. Then when the limelight shifts off of your ministry and off of your life, and when all the human supports crumble, you're going to endure with the endurance of hope. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable,